here singing. Come on, Maya. That's Mike's oldest daughter, if y'all didn't know. She can sing. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing? Good, good. If you're new around here, we want to welcome you again. We're so glad you could be a part of what we're doing today, and we're glad you could be our guest. Um, if you didn't get a chance to fill out con the Connect card, you can do that if you get bored while I'm preaching. You can do it online. You can do it. There should be some in your, in your chairs in front of you. Also, after service, we have a little gathering called Starting Point. It's about 15 minutes. It's next door in the gym. We would love to just get to know you. We got snacks and drinks and just a real casual time to let you know about our church and get to know who we are and uh, get to meet you in person uh, if you're here today in the house. And also, you may have noticed as you're turning, by the way, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 if you want to grab your Bibles. If you're uh, here today and you saw the announcements, this book is in the back in the Welcome Center and uh, it's called The Gospel-Centered Parent and it is what we'll be covering in one of our classes for GROW classes beginning July 11th, and we would love for you to join us if you're a parent or thinking about being a parent or whatever, uh, or used to be a parent and want to come give us some advice, uh, you know, whatever that looks like, uh, we would love to have you part of that discussion. It'll be one of our two classes for adults starting in July, so uh, make sure you pick that up. It's five bucks in the foyer, and we uh, are beating Amazon over and above. I think it's $14 on Amazon. We want you to be in the class. It's $5. Uh, all right, Exodus chapter 20, we are uh, going to look at the Ten Commandments. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 are the two places where you will find the Ten Commandments. We will get to Deuteronomy 5 actually in two weeks, uh, but today we'll be in Exodus chapter 10 as we continue our series on the Sabbath, beginning in verse 8. If you're there, say amen. Hear the reading of God's Word. Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Amen. Amen. I want to tag our text today, Sabbath as rhythm. Sabbath as rhythm. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, we thank you that you are with us today as we um, have read your word, we've uh, prayed, we've fellowshiped, we've sung your praises. God, we've just been in your presence enjoying you and enjoying one another. And so as we turn now to the scriptures, we ask, Lord, that you would help our minds and our hearts to really slow down and to listen, to hear what you would say to us in this moment as we've been in this series on Sabbath, just beginning, it's been on my heart how, how hard it is to slow down and just be with you. And so, God, I pray your spirit would help us to do that today, to focus our mind, to give you our attention, that we might hear what you would say through your word, to your glory and our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it was our first family Sabbath, and it was about a year ago. It was right after the pandemic hit, uh, and we were, as a family, trying to reconsider some rhythms in our life, and we had been talking about this for 
I don't know, months, maybe a year, talking about getting into a regular rhythm of Sabbath, but it just never happened. We, we could never kind of pull it together and as a family figure out how to do it together. And so uh, we decided, you know, if, if there's any other opportunity, this is it. The pandemic has hit, everything's shut down, let's start a new rhythm. And so uh, we decided it would be on Friday night, we would have 24 hours of of doing nothing but resting and, and worshiping and delighting in God. So we gather together around the table. We've got the Jesus Storybook Bible with our little kids, and we light some candles to kind of set the mood and set apart the time. And everybody's gathered around. It looks very picturesque, like we're an Instagram family or something. They're reading with me and listening. We're praying together. And then in the middle of one of the stories, I don't know what we were reading, to be honest. In the middle of the story, I hear my wife shout, She's on fire. And I'm like, what in the world? And then I see her jump across the table and knock things to the side. She grabs our daughter Sophia's head and starts to pat it on the top. And I'm trying to figure out what is going on. And before I could put it together, I smell that distinct odor of burning hair. If you ever smell burning hair, you won't forget it. It's this distinct odor. And then I put it together she had leaned in to hear the Bible story and her hair got just close enough to the candle and caught on fire. Thankfully, I mean, she didn't get hurt. Nothing really happened. Just a few burn-ins, right? Just, it was not a big deal. She didn't even know what was happening. She's looking with her eyes wide, confused about why mommy's grabbing her by the head. And, and then as soon as everyone realized what happened and everyone was safe, we just burst out in laughter at the table. And we're just looking at one another thinking, what just happened? We, we have our first family Sabbath and someone catches on fire. That's not a good start, but that's a picture. Like We're, we're just rookies. We, we didn't know what we're doing. We had no idea how this thing worked, but we all survived our first Sabbath. I mean, it was new to us, but honestly, this Sabbath thing is not new at all, really. I mean, it's really ancient. In fact, for thousands of years, God's people have practiced in some form or another this principle of Sabbath. And it's been this rhythm in the life of God's people that we would work and we would rest, we would work and we would rest. And, and so it's not really new, but I would say in the last century, the church has really kind of put it to the side and it's become much more of a struggle as the pace of our culture, especially in the West, begins to pick up and life is just so busy. We're always in a hurry. We, we're never able to stop, never able to rest, never able to, to even sleep. I was reading this week that, that uh, just a hundred years ago, listen to this, everyone got two and a half hours on average more sleep every day than they do today. Can you imagine what you would do if you had two and a half hours more sleep? What would your life look like? I'm just thinking, wow, I would be so renewed. Two and a half hours, just a hundred years ago. And in the same study, they found that over 40 million Americans have less than six hours of sleep every day. Not just occasionally, but every single day. 40 million. So you just think about the pace of life and, and how we're going and going and going. We can't stop. We always got to be doing the next thing. And, and uh, that pace is costing us, right? Sometimes we'll brag about how busy we are. Oh, how was your week? Oh, it's so busy. But really, it's, it's crushing us. It's the cause of 
so many of our illnesses and, and uh, you know, heart issues and, and diabetes and all kinds of things that doctors have traced back to a lack of rest and, and anxiety and worry, right? And, and so it's really crushing us, and it turns out that God really designed us to rest, that this is not some new idea, but it's really an ancient practice that goes all the way back to how God created us. And so as we're continuing in this series today, the second week on uh, the Sabbath, what we're calling Redeeming Rest, I want to look at that rhythm. Because last week we, we talked about how before we get into the how-tos of the Sabbath, we have to kind of back up and look at the heart of the Sabbath. And so we looked at Jesus and how Jesus invites us to himself, right? Jesus comes to us and then he invites us to come to him. He said, I want you to come to me and you'll find rest for your souls because my heart is what? gentle and lowly. And we looked at how Jesus invites us because He's revealing His heart to us in the Sabbath, that His heart is humble and kind and gentle. It's not harsh, but it's loving. And He desires for us this flourishing and this thriving. And so now, you might be wondering, especially if you were here last week, you might be wondering, you know, that, that sounds wonderful and, and nice and pretty, but how do I actually do that? Like, I haven't felt rested in years. So how, how am I supposed to come to Jesus and be rested? I'm glad you asked. First of all, before we even get into the text, I want to say, just be kind to yourself. Give yourself grace. This, this is a practice, which means it takes practice. You're going to spend the rest of your life trying to practice the rhythm of Sabbath. And so what I want this series to do is not solve all the problems or by five weeks you will be an expert. But my hope really is that you would at least get started. You would at least start this journey. And if someone catches on fire, by God's grace, you would get them out of the house. Like you, you would make it, it, it work. Like that, that's all I'm hoping is that you would get started on this journey. And so today I want to look at, at that rhythm and get that started. And what does it look like to, to live in this rhythm of rest? So if you're taking notes today, first let's look at the pattern. The first point today is the pattern. Look at verse 8 with me in, in Exodus chapter 20. It says this, God's saying uh, these words. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who was within your gates. Now listen, the Sabbath is the longest command out of all the Ten Commandments. The most words. Now that, that's always been fascinating to me because you think about the Ten Commandments. There's some pretty important things in the Ten Commandments. Like, right? I mean, have no other gods before me. That, that's a pretty big one. There's some that seem pretty urgent, like do not murder. There, there's some big ones in there, and you think they might get some more words than the Sabbath. Why in the world would the Sabbath get the most attention, the most detail? I mean, he goes down to, I want you to take a full day, not half the day, not you know, a couple hours, but I want you to take the whole day, and I want everybody in your house. I want you, I want your kids, your, your spouse, I want the people who work for you, I want your, even your animals, even your pets, get a rest. Why? What, why would he be so expansive and so detailed. I think it's because God knows 
how hard it's going to be for them to actually do it. And how, in our own heart, we're, we're going to look for every loophole we can find. Right? So he, he's going to tie up all the loose ends and say, just in case you missed it, this is what I'm looking for. And then Moses gives even further reasoning in verse 11. He says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and the, all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Right? Moses, who wrote the Ten Commandments, he's, he's appealing to God's creation pattern. He's saying you go all the way back to Genesis 1 and you see God creating the earth out of nothing. And he's saying uh, that this pattern of God's work week, if you will, God had six days of work. He creates the the stars and the light and and earth and the planets and the animals and the fish and all this. And then on the sixth day, he creates man and then he rests. Why in the world would he rest? It's not because God's tired. It's not because he's, you know, exhausted after six days of working. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. He doesn't get worn out. He's all-powerful. He's infinite. It's not because of him, but it's because of us. God is resting on the seventh day to establish a pattern in all creation, to create a rhythm in all creation of work and rest, work and rest. And so he's He's saying, Moses is saying, you go back to the creation and you see God designed it for us in our week to have kind of a mini recreation. You see that? He's saying, I want you to model your week after God's rhythm of life. So Sabbath is rooted in God's own rhythm, in his own rhythm. In 1783, uh, France decided they would test this. France decided in 1783 that they would uh, change the calendar. This was an effort to try to de-Christianize the calendar, but also to try to increase productivity in their country. And so they decided they're going to change the calendar from seven seven days in a week to ten days in a week. They decided they're going to have nine days of work and one day of rest. This is a real thing. In fact, they had to go kind of reinvent calendars, reinvent clocks, all this this system, uh, systemic things that they had to change because the world was designed around this seven-day week, but they decided 10 days would be better. Big experiment. Massive failure. Suicide rates skyrocketed. People were exhausted, burnout. Everybody was lost around their, their sense of time and rhythm, didn't know what was going on. And here's the, maybe the biggest surprise Even the production was down. They thought if we had nine days of work instead of six, we would get more out of the people. And they got less. And it turns out, God didn't design us for nine days of work and one day of rest, but six days of work and one day of rest. There's something sacred to the Sabbath rhythm. Right? There's, there's something sacred to this seven-day rhythm of life that God has infused into creation. He, he has made it a part of the rhythm of all the universe, that this is how life works. And in fact, this rhythm isn't about legalism. Listen to me, it's about love. That God, in His love, He has infused this into His creation so that we can know who He is. Think about this for a second. Adam and Eve, right? 
first people on the planet, they were created on day six. God creates everything else, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, creates Adam and Eve, and then what happens? He rests, right? On day seven, he rests. It's God resting, it's Adam and Eve resting, it's all creation resting. What was their first day? Their first full day was a Sabbath. Think about the implications of that. Adam and Eve had done nothing. They, they had done nothing. God creates them and then says, your first job is to do nothing. Your first day, you're going to sit back and just enjoy all that I've made for you. And you're going to enjoy me. And then we can get to the work. But your first day is a Sabbath. Think about that. He's saying it right there in the, in the rhythm of life, he's saying that it's not, uh, rest is not some reward for all the work you've done to earn this rest, but rather rest is the rhythm of His grace. It's, it's the rhythm of His provision. It's the rhythm of His creation. He's saying, I'm doing this because I love you, not because you've earned it. I'm doing this because I've designed you to rest in me, and then you work. You don't work for me, you work from the rest. So in many ways, Sabbath is actually the first hint in the Old Testament of the Gospel. You see, the very first day, they're getting glimpses of the Gospel. Right there, in the Sabbath. Now, let's get really practical for a moment, because I know even this week people are asking questions about the Sabbath and what does that look like? How do I actually do that? Well, just I wanted to set you up to know it's not about legalism. It is about God's love and His grace. But let's get practical. How do I actually do that? Uh, Rich Velotis wrote a, a great book called The Deeply Formed Life. Our staff is reading it right now. He has a chapter on Sabbath. I thought his definition is really good. He says this. He says, Sabbath keeping is a weekly 24-hour period of unhurried delight with no have-tos or ought-tos resulting in deep rest and renewal. Listen to that again. Sabbath, is keep, or Sabbath keeping is a weekly 24-hour period of unhurried delight with no have-tos or ought-tos resulting in deep rest and renewal. I mean, Christians throughout the ages, we, we have celebrated the Sabbath in various ways and People have debated all kinds of things about the day and the activities. And you know, you got people who believe that Saturday is the Sabbath, and you got people who believe Sunday is the Sabbath. And you look in the New Testament, and there's this thing called the Lord's Day. And what is that? And all these different people debating about what the Sabbath is and how to practice it. And uh, I would just say this as a sidebar. I, I, I listened to one guy talking about the Sabbath, and he says, Look, if you get caught up in all the rules, you're missing the point. He said, Think about it this way. Is there a rule in society that you should not eat concrete? <laughs> not that I'm aware of, but is it wise to eat concrete? Probably not. So even if there's, a, if there's not a rule that you should work seven days a week, is it wise? Do you see the wisdom of this Sabbath principle? And so I would say, without getting too far into the weeds, I think there is a difference between the practice of Sabbath as a spiritual discipline 
and the Lord's Day and the gathering of the church on Resurrection Day, you know, celebrating Jesus' resurrection together as his body. I think there's some difference there. We'll get into that as the series goes. But I just want you to hear what, what he's saying in this definition is 24 hours of, of unhurried delight. And so that, that could be any 24 hours if you're practicing this rhythm. For our family, it has become Friday at 6 p.m., to Saturday at 6 p.m., that 24 hours. And that's because Sunday is often uh, seen as a work day for me. There's a lot going on as a pastor. Uh, if, if you're not in ministry or Sunday's not a work day, I would really encourage you just as a kind of a best practice and, and wisdom and people I've talked to that Saturday night at 6 p.m. to Sunday night at 6 p.m. would be a great start. If that doesn't work for you, find something. If it's Tuesday, it's Wednesday, Monday, I don't care, but find 24 hours that can be consistent in your life to say, I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to do nothing. And, and it's not a day off, right? It's not, it's not the same thing as a day off. I love Eugene Peterson's comment on this. He says, a day off is a bastard Sabbath. The illegitimate, the illegitimate child of the seventh day and Western culture. You hear that? The, Ill, the illegitimate child of the seventh day and Western culture. What he's saying is this day is meant to be something completely different. It's not meant to be a day you catch up on all the things you couldn't get done at your other job. So now you've got the seventh day to do something else that looks very similar like all the other days. He's saying, no, this is supposed to be different. When God calls it holy, the word holy means unique. He's saying this day is to be set apart. And so this is a grid that I've, I've found to be helpful, this question. If you're thinking about what should my Sabbath look like, ask this question. Ask, is it restful? Is it worshipful? And is it delightful? Is it restful, worshipful, or delightful? If it's not one of those three things, that's all right. There's six other days. But, but for this day, ask yourself, is, is it restful? Is it worshipful? Is it delightful? And if not, wait. But could you imagine what that looks like in your life if you had 24 hours to do nothing but what's restful, worshipful, and delightful? How would that change your life? And look, that's going to look different for every person in this room. It's going to look different because we're all different people. Our work week looks different. You know, if you got a real physically laborious job where, where you're constantly just physical activity all week long, then your rest may look like you're sitting on the couch doing nothing. It might be you're reading a book, you're, you're using your mind, you're, you're relating to other people that maybe you haven't seen all week or whatever it may be. But if your week looks like you're sitting at a computer all day, and, and you're staring at a screen, maybe your rest looks like, I'm, I'm going to have no screens, and I'm going to get outside, and I'm going to go for a long walk, I'm going to ride a bike, I'm going to do something that engages me physically, I don't know, but something that gives me rest and renewal, and it's delightful. You see that? It's going to look different. It's going to look different for you and me and everyone in this room. And so the point is not what you do, it's, it's how you rest and delight in God and you nourish your soul. A whole day of no ought to's or should's, but rest. What would it look like for you? It's a lot harder than it sounds. 
Sounds beautiful, but it's really difficult. And this gets us to the next point. There's this immediate problem that arises in our hearts, and this is the second point, the problem. Let's look back at Israel's experience even before the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 16, you've got uh, the people of God wandering through the wilderness, right? And if you know the story of Exodus, you know that God liberates His people out of their bondage in Egypt. He sets them free after 400 years of bondage. 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God shows up, delivers them miraculously, brings them out. Now they're wandering through the wilderness on the way to Canaan for the promised land that God had given to them. And on the way, as they're walking through the wilderness, following Moses, they realize something really important. Hey, uh, we don't have any food. We don't have any drink. And so then everybody turns against Moses and they get angry and they're like, you took us out of there to kill us. I mean, we were in bondage, but at least we had something to eat. What are we going to do? How are we going to live? We're going to die out here in the middle of the wilderness. And so God steps in and defends Moses, and he says, Look, y'all are worried, but don't be worried. I will provide for you. I know you look around, and you don't see how it's going to happen. There's no water. There's no food. But that doesn't mean I can't make a way. And he decides he's going to rain bread from heaven. This manna, this literally, what is it? That's what it means. What, what, what is it? How is this happening? Are we supposed to eat this? And then God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide just enough for each day. You're going to go out every day. You're going to gather up the bread, and you're going to have enough food for that day. And then the next day, you're going to go out, and you're going to gather up the bread, and you're going to have enough, day for that, or enough food for that day. And, but on the sixth day, I'm going to give you a double portion so that on the seventh day, you don't have to go out. You just rest. And I want you to trust me that what I give you on the sixth day is enough for the seventh day. So what happens? <laughs> Listen to what happens. In, in Exodus 16, verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you, given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. See, the people knew that God had made that promise. They knew that he had provided in the past. They, they had even seen it the first six days. They had seen the bread miraculously come from heaven. They had seen God do this to take care of them and love them. But when the seventh day came, I don't know. A few of them were like, well, Let's go out and see. Let's go out and just at least check to see if, you know, maybe somebody left something out there. I mean, I'm a little bit hungry. I'm not sure if I'm going to have enough to make it the whole day. And so they struggled to trust. Can God be trusted? Can He be trusted? What if we just double check? See, Sabbath is an act of trust. It's an act of trust. Bernard Loggett, he was an uh, Olympic marathon legend and uh, born in Kenya, raced for the U.S. for many years, won dozens of medals. I think he won 13 or 14 gold medals, uh, broke all these records, incredible accolades in his career, all these accomplishments. But what he's most known for, what made him famous as a runner, besides all these accomplishments, was not his running, but it was actually his resting. 
He did something unheard of in his whole field. He, he had this rhythm in life where he would run and, and compete and exercise and train for 11 months. I mean, he would work as hard as he could, harder than anybody else. He would make sure he was in the best shape and his form was perfect and he's working day and night. He's doing all this to make sure he's an elite world athlete. But then when that 12th month came, he would do nothing. And I mean nothing. Like he would put his shoes for running in the closet. He would close the door. He's not looking at his shoes for five weeks. And he would do nothing but eat and relax with his family. He would coach his son's soccer team. He would do nothing related to running. And it would be right before his biggest race of the year. And so everybody's thinking he's crazy. Why would you take five weeks off before the biggest race of your year? And so reporters started asking him, why are you doing this? He's been doing this since 1999. And they came to him saying, you know, make, help us understand what you're doing. No one else is doing this. And this is his comment I thought was fascinating. He says, rest is a good thing. But I know from experience, it's the fear. It's the fear of what it'll be like the first day you return. I also know from experience that it's good for me. And I know I have plenty of time. I have plenty of time. See, he, he had to trust the pattern. He, he knew from experience that this was hard because I don't know what it's going to be like if I don't do something and, and then all of a sudden I start doing again. I'm going to have to trust. But over time, I've seen the pattern work and I know I have plenty of time. It reminds me of another time where Jesus was uh, in a boat at the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. You know the story where, where Jesus had spent this long, exhausting day doing ministry and helping people, and he comes to the boat, and his disciples are crossing over the sea, and he just curls up in the side of the boat, and he's just out. He goes to sleep, he's tired, worn out, and then a storm rolls in. Water starts coming down. The, the water's rising up on the boat. The waves are crashing. People are starting to panic. Water's getting in now. And now everybody's shouting and screaming, running around trying to fix things. And where is Jesus? Sleeping. Resting. And then they shout at Jesus, What are you doing? Why are you sleeping? Aren't you going to do something? Now, could he have done something? Absolutely. Jesus could have got up. He could have helped him get the water out of the boat. He could have done all kinds of things. There's, there's always more for Jesus to do. You think about that? Think about as you read the Gospels and all the people that Jesus just passed by. All the work that Jesus left undone. And he just takes a nap. I mean, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. <laughs> just go to sleep. Go to sleep, right? I mean, it's the most spiritual thing you can do because Jesus, as he's sleeping, he's trusting. I mean, Sabbath is a reminder that our work will always be incomplete. It'll always be incomplete. And many of us tell ourselves the lie, oh, I'll, I'll Sabbath, I'll rest, but I just got to do this first. You know, I got to get this done, and then I got to get this done, and then once I get all these things done, I'll just, then I'll, have, I'll be in a place where I can rest, and I'll have my mind free, and I can do it, and, and then something else comes up. And then something else comes up. And then you get that done, and something else comes up, and next thing you know, you haven't rested. 
It just keeps going. I mean, there's always more laundry to do. There's always more kids to help with homework. There's always more bills to pay. There's always a phone call to return. There's always someone to meet up with. There's always some project at work. There's always something you got to do for your spouse or, or somebody else that you know down the street that has a need. There's always more to do. But let me let you in on, this might sound a little morbid. I don't mean it morbid. This, you're going to die. Sabbath is a reminder that you will one day not be here. And that's okay. There's a a freedom in that. There's a freedom in saying that I'm not necessary. I'm, I'm wanted, but I'm not needed. I'm not needed. I I, I am free to to rest and and know that God is the only one who's needed. See, we struggle to rest because we struggle to trust. If we're honest, we really believe that God needs all the help He can get, especially from me. He needs me to step in and fix those problems at work and stay longer than I really have to be there. He needs me to overstudy for those classes because I'm not sure if I'm going to get the grade I need, and so i got to push and push and push. He needs me to run myself exhausted so my kids can have every experience in life before they leave our house. He needs me to take care of that person that is struggling and no one else seems to care. No one else will do it, so I need to do it. I mean, do you hear the pattern? The pattern is, I am the most needed. And God is saying to you, just stop and trust me. Trust me, you you rest, I'll work. You go to sleep, I'll stay up. You you trust me and I will be the one that will make it happen. I mean, Sabbath is, is really just kind of embracing the sovereignty of God for real. Not like as a theological concept that you might like as a particular denomination, but for real. Resting. It's becoming a human being, not a human doing. And when we trust God with this Sabbath pattern, we we finally see the person that's behind the Sabbath. This is the last point, the person, and we'll close. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus comes over to Martha's house. And some of you may know the story. Jesus, again, is exhausted, right? The Sabbath is not saying you'll never be tired. Jesus was constantly tired. And so Jesus is tired again, and so it comes to a point where he's like, I need some relief, I need some rest, and he comes over to Martha's house, and, and Martha, you know, you're having the, the, the Messiah, the Christ, come over to your house, the Son of God. So she's panicking a little bit, trying to make sure everything's right, looking good, and the food is great, and she's in the back probably stirring the pot with one hand and vacuuming with the other, if they had vacuums, I don't know, but... There, you can just see the chaos and the emotion in the moment that there's so much pressure that Martha has to make it just right. And so Martha looks over as she's in this state and she sees her sister Mary sitting on the ground doing nothing, listening to Jesus. Just listening, just hanging out while Martha's over there doing her thing all by herself. And so this rage begins to boil up in Martha. She starts to just be furious at her sister for not helping out, not participating. And so she decides she's going to take it to Jesus, right? I mean, this is what's happening. Martha's serving. Mary is sitting, doing nothing. 
And so she takes it to Jesus because no one can take this anymore. Someone's got to help me. I've got to get this fixed. And this is what she says to Jesus in an outburst of anger. She says, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Then tell her to help me. Do you hear the tone? The accusation? I mean, she's thinking in her mind, surely Jesus will be the one to help me. If anybody's going to help me, Jesus can get this done. Jesus can fix this. Jesus will care. Jesus will make Mary work. And I, I mean, honestly, I, I sympathize. I empathize with Martha. I, I have Martha tendencies. I desire to get things done and make things happen and want to... I mean, for honest, I mean, she's, she's not out there doing bad work. She's not out there stealing from people or selling drugs. She's, she's cooking for Jesus. She's serving Jesus. But Jesus, in her accusations, he sees something different. He sees a different pattern in her. And so he, he reaches out to her so lovingly, so carefully. And he says to Martha, he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. He says her name twice, not, not to scold her, not like Martha, Martha, but it's Martha, like Martha, do you hear yourself? There's, there's compassion, there's tenderness, there's care. He sees this woman who's so overwhelmed with anxiety and so overwhelmed with worry and performance that she can't see anything else around her and he's just full of compassion because that pattern in her life is destroying her. And then he says this. He says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. In other words, Martha... You've been out there working and working and working and going and going and going, but you're missing in all your work the one thing that's necessary. It's me. She has chosen, Mary has chosen the good portion, the, the thing that will feed you and nourish you and keep you going, but you're trying to go without me, and I just want you to know you can't go like that. You need to stop. You need to rest. And have the one thing that will feed you, me. See, Sabbath is about more than a pattern. It's, it's a person. It's the person of Jesus. It's about creating space to rest in the presence of Jesus. This presence of God is really the gift of the gospel. Jesus said last week, come to me and you'll find rest for your souls. Rest that's deeper than the surface. Rest that's deeper than your body. Rest that's deeper than the circumstances or the calendar. Rest that's down to the depths of your being. This kind of rest that's rooted not in anything that we do, but it's rest that's rooted in everything that He's done already in Christ. Right? Jesus rested in the greatest way imaginable. He rested in a tomb for three days. His body lay there as He was crucified for our sins. His body lay there as He conquered death itself. As He rested, the world was waiting. Waiting for redemption, waiting for renewal, waiting for restoration. The Gospel promise is this. Trust in Jesus and give Him all your exhaustion and He'll give you rest. Rest for your whole life. Rest for your whole eternity. See, we get more than a pattern. We get the person 
the person of Jesus to be with, who gives us himself as rest. As we close today, do you, do you need that rhythm of resting with Jesus renewed? I mean, you may call yourself a Christian or not call yourself a Christian. Today, that, that's not what we're concerned about because the call is the same. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, we can find ourselves in this pattern of living out of God's design and, and it's just work and work. It's not work and rest. And so if that's you today, Jesus is calling you to himself to say, this, this is what I have designed for you that you would live in this rhythm that, that would give you nourishment, give you hope, give you life, so that you can then, out of that rest, go work. And out of that rest, you can bring glory to my name. Out of that rest, you can bring thriving in creation, but you have to rest in me. And I've done everything for you. You don't do it because you're trying to earn something with me. You don't do it because you're trying to keep score of who's the best rester. You do it because I'm inviting you to come and be with me. Do you need that today? Let's go to him now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray as we come to you together corporately that you would be what you promised to be. You would be our eternal rest. You would be the one that helps us set aside all of our worries, all of our anxieties. Lord, your word says to cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And so we cast them today. God, we cast the cares of our jobs. We cast the cares of our kids, of our marriages. We cast the cares of our community, of our government. We cast the cares of our school, whatever it may be that is causing us to just work and work and work and worry and worry and worry we stop and give them to you, Lord, that we might fix our eyes on you. May you give us that grace today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.